Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Every week we hop on a roller coaster, share laughter and tears on topics we might be ashamed to discuss. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Beauteous Me podcast. I hope everyone is staying safe, washing your hands. And now with this new executive order that we're having our face masks on um, and that you're doing whatever you have to do to practice self-care and to stay positive despite what is going on. So today I'm so excited to present another guest that we have, uh, Susan Eckstein is a woman's empowerment coach and speaker helping divorced moms reconnect their power and lead with their values so they can define motherhood for themselves. Susan leads her clients through a life-changing empowerment process to help them release their shame, challenge their stories, and change their beliefs so they can show up more powerfully for their children. Susan became a non-custodial mother to her two boys following her divorce eight years ago. After receiving pushback from others and feeling ashamed for years, Susan realized she could feel good about herself and be a better mother if she was willing to change her thinking and create her own unique and powerful relationship with her children. Susan is committed to helping all divorced moms, regardless of their custodial status, have a happier and more meaningful life with their children. Guys, welcome. Susan, so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'm glad you're home and safe, uh, staying away from all this mayhem. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So Susan, I thought it was a great topic for us to have because as women, and when we think about motherhood, motherhood comes with so many expectations. Um, how, starting from pregnancy, from when you have, when you come out pregnant, um, the shame, if you're deciding not to have a child, the shame, if you're deciding to adopt the child or give your child up for adoption, um, if you're not happy with the pregnancy, um, if you can't have children, if you're having infertility, fertility issues, et cetera. And so that kind of then continues on the spectrum. So now you have your kids and you're expected to be with the spouse or be with the partner. Um, what kind of, how are you raising your children? Oh, your children are too rowdy. Your children are too this, your children, you're too strict. You're too lenient. You're too, it's just so many things that come across. And then we get to these life obstacles where you don't get along with your partner and now you don't want to be together. And then it's this battle of who gets the kid and what happens. And we also see that some parents are very bitter. And so they want to take custody of their kids intentionally to hurt the other person, or there's mutual agreement. There's good co-parenting, there's co-mingling, there's, you know, blended families, et cetera, going on. And, And having this discussion where we think about Um, all the different wavelengths that women go through, divorced moms, moms in general, is important because we get shamed so much with everything that goes on with motherhood, period. And so I'm so happy that you're here to share your story and to kind of help us um, shed light to this topic. But also you come from a whole different background. You have a PR background, you know, (laughs) but this was something that motivated you to say, I need to coach women in this. So please share your story. Sure. Um, uh, Like you said before, I'm a non-custodial mother. Uh, Eight years ago, uh, I had asked my husband for a divorce and we, it was an amicable divorce. Nonetheless, it was a, 
it was tough navigating the journey that we were both about to go on. But when we sat down to talk about, okay, let's, we agree on joint custody, but he said almost immediately, he said, I want the children. I want to keep the children Mm. with me. And so at the time we were living in his parents' house, it's a mother daughter house. Mm -hmm. And so his parents lived upstairs. We lived downstairs and, uh, I was going to have to leave, Mm. you know, oftentimes it's the case that, you know, the The father leaves. Yeah. Right. The father leaves. That was not going to happen in this situation. And at the time, um, I knew that where I was going to be going was not necessarily going to allow them to stay in the same school district, be on the same bus. Um, I was going to have to move into a smaller apartment. Meanwhile, they had a relatively big house with a beautiful yard. Their friends were on the block. They like, and you know, by, if I took them with me, it would mean me juggling them with a babysitter versus them staying in their own house that they've always known, sleeping in their beds, having the support and love of their grandparents who lived upstairs. And the interesting thing um, was that my ex-husband said, I want you to keep my key. I want you to keep your key. Mm-hmm. I want you to continue to greet the, greet the kids off the bus and bring them into the house. Yeah. So I, he and I agreed on a very unique situation. Mm-hmm. always looking at it from the perspective of what is best for the kids. Yes. Uh, And I think that's important. Yeah, I think you say that and it's important. And I don't think people see it that way. I think people get stuck on the ownership, if you will. This is my child, my this, your this, this, that, without really thinking about the kids. And I think that's just beautiful that that you guys were able to come to an amicable agreement where it's just like, does it make sense to disrupt my child's life? Does it make sense to disrupt their friendships, this? And then the behavioral issues that um, come along with a divorce and with separation. It's intense. It's, it's very, it's very intense. And it it was funny because when we were talking about it, we were thinking, okay, if you take them and I understand why you want to take them, because as a mom, you do, of course, (laughs) they're mine. They're mine. They came from me that we were we were both trying to look at it from the perspective of the kids mm-hmm. uh, and what would be in the best interest of them. And even though I was moving out of the house, we wanted to create a situation where their life was going to feel as much as possible the same as it's always been. The only difference is mom, is living somewhere else. Mom is sleeping somewhere else. Right. At any point, and did you guys ask the kids what they wanted? At the time, we did not because they were seven and nine. Oh, okay. So they were little. So we we, we didn't ask them. And mm-hmm. even now, up until this point, they're now uh, 16, 17. <laughs> uh, we haven't asked them that. It's just, it's sort of, you know, it's just been a very organic journey how it's all played out. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's really interesting that, um, that you bring about at what you guys decided as the best interest for the child, um, and keeping them within their same cohort and group. And, and seven is a very interesting spot. When my son's father and I had separated, my son was six going on seven 
And I did see the behavioral issues because his father moved out and it was hard for him. And still my son is about to be 16 and there's things that kind of trigger him with his emotions um, that were not together. And so I didn't stay in the same house um, because I just felt like I couldn't, you know, deal with memories, et cetera, and, and also setting boundaries, but I stayed in the same neighborhood so he could stay in the same school, so he can stay in the same after school and still have that support. Um, and those are decisions that sometimes we end up making to ensure that um we don't break a routine for the kids because this is this within itself is is hard. Yeah, and that was one of the things that he wanted well, we both wanted was by me having a key um, that I could still greet the kids off the bus because that was always the routine. I was the homework parent, greet the kids off the bus, get them settled after school, let's sit down and do homework. And that for many years, that continued to be the routine. That's wonderful. So that we could make it so that, okay, mom is going to greet us after school. There was no, I'm going to get off the bus. Who's going to be there? Right. And there was no worry about that. That's great. And did the kids ever like um, try to intervene and say, mom, are you staying today? Or um, mom, where are you going? Why are you leaving? Because they uh, were young. It, it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was hard because, you know, usually kids would come home from school, make them a snack. We sit and do homework. They would go off and play. And then it was like, okay, guys, what do you want for dinner? Mm. And what ended up happening was my ex-husband would either when he came up home from work he would either go upstairs and we would agree ahead of time how late i would stay yeah so certain nights i would cook them dinner in the house you know in the kitchen that we once shared as a family which was which was an awkward situation for both me and my ex-husband to navigate and sometimes it felt kind of awkward that he would come down the stairs while I was cleaning up dinner and he would say, I got the dishes. Yeah. And we would try to work that out. Mm-hmm. So that was very awkward for years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, of, and at some point we would we'd all be standing, you know, in the dining room and you'd have this feeling of this is what it felt like when we were a family unit. And even though we were still a family I was then going to leave and it was always an awkward situation. And I always felt bad because now I had to go kiss my kids. Good night. Oftentimes I didn't get, get to give them a bath. I, unless they were staying with me, I didn't get to tuck them in, read them a bedtime story. I didn't get to do all the things that I used to be doing when I was married and living in the same house with them. Right. So that was a very difficult time for me to adjust to. Now, did you find yourself with supports? Because now it's a different family dynamic. And I could imagine family members and friends who love to criticize and, and always in everyone's business and have an opinion. Did you feel support or unsupported during that time? I felt supported by probably two to three close friends. Mm-hmm. And my mom. Um, But other than that, no support. I mean, when at the time, I I never really went online and said, okay, I'm a non-custodial mother. What resources are there? Right. (laughs) I I didn't do it on. I I didn't do it because honestly, I thought I was the only one Mm -hmm. because no one ever talks about this. Right. 
right? I, I remember when I shared with my mother, I said, you know, um, that I was making the decision with my ex-husband that we were going to do this. My mother's immediate reaction was, you're giving up your kids. Yes. that And that's what people say. You gave up your kids. You didn't fight for your kids. You didn't do this for your kids. And I think until you shared your story and I've personally um, met or, or been friends with people for a few years, I, one of my close friends, she hasn't she hasn't publicized it until one day I was like, Hey, how are the kids? And she's like breaking down, you know, I don't have custody of them. And you know, this has been a crazy battle, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of understanding that standpoint where she was coming from the loss of not having her kids and and finding her new path in life or others where, you know, the ones that I've known, I guess your story is a beautiful story because it's amicable. The ones that I've known, are non-custodial for other reasons, more of you're, you're just not going to have them. I want them, et cetera. And not that there's that agreement. And I think you, you, I think you guys started the blueprint, your ex-husband and you for what things should look like for non-custodial parents. Yeah. And what I always find interesting is that when you talk to people who've, who've gotten divorced, that this arrangement isn't even suggested it's not put on the table no it's it's just not it's like okay, it's two days you three days here four days here five days right. here one week here one week there. <laughs> so, but what i think is that even if you are the mom and you recognize okay you know like my situation where i i was the one who had to leave just because of physically where we were in right. the house with his parents um even if a, if a mom is thinking that perhaps we can make this work and it would be better for the children if they predominantly stayed with their dad, even if that's a flash in either person's mind, it doesn't get brought to the table. No. Because of the shame. Because it's like, exactly. but you're the mom. And also if we look at the court systems, the court systems favor moms over... Yes, or over dads, even if it's an unhealthy situation with the mom and a healthy situation with the dad, um, they're not thinking about the best interests of the child. They're always looking at it's the mom. The mom should have custody. The mom should this mom should that. So the court, the legal system doesn't even offer something like this. Right. And it's, and it's a shame because if you're, if you're, if you're looking at it from the best interest of the child, Mm -hmm both parties and the judge, I think that people would be more accepting of this kind of arrangement. Right. Because I know, like you said, you, you had, you knew somebody who just basically hid this, right. I hid it too. I had shared a little bit of it Mm -hmm. when I first moved out of the house and this was going to be the arrangement. And the few people I did tell just thought I was, (laughs) they had this weird reaction and the judgment was horrendous. And so I just said, okay, I'm not telling anybody anymore. Right. And like your friend, I just, anytime anybody asked about the kids, I would position it in such a way that I had them Mm. when the reality was I didn't, because I knew that if I opened up and started, you know, you always have to explain yourself when you're a non-custodial mom. Like, why did you make this decision? And how did this come around about? And What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 always that that level of judgment that you feel not so much from men, but from women, um, particularly moms. And 
what I've come to realize now is that anytime I share that I'm a non-custodial mother, as a mom, you're often triggered because you're like, wait a second. Okay, look at what she, the decision she's made. Am I doing a good job now as a mom? Mm. Like just, you're just triggered. All of those maternal instincts that you have, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just an, it's an immediate reaction. And you said something interesting. Um, one of my friends, one of my really close friends um, shared that, you know, for temporarily her kids were going to go live with their father while she was going to, you know, just downgrade and make sure that she saves in order for, to, to prepare for her child to go away to college. And so you look at it and you're like, okay, it makes sense. But I had an immediate reaction. And I think because one, she's my friend two, the mother instinct kicks in and it's just like, but, but why? You know, and then, and then your own story of, but I was a single mom and I kind of figured it out, but without um, putting out there that though I figured it out, I was still suffering because financially I had to figure out how to make it. And so we are, I think because we're so judged from the beginning, again, like I mentioned, pregnancy, non-pregnancy, can you have a kid? Can you not have a kid? That we're just always on defense when it comes to certain things that you bring up about kids, about um, parenting, et cetera, that it's easy to judge and it's easy to place shame and blame onto others. And it's not healthy. And I, and I take a step back and I look at it and I'm like, you know what? That's beautiful. If you have that relationship with someone else that you can do that, that's beautiful, you know, and, and others don't have that luxury and others don't, um, have that ability to do that because it's not harmonious. And, we also have to think about like our own mental health and what, what what that was like. And I'm sure for you going there every day, those for your kids and you have that mother strength, homework, bath time, dinner, whatever, bedtime, eat, or sometimes bath time, you still walked out of there with a piece of you that left and still trying to heal from the separation. Because although whether, you know, you were ready for it and you knew a long time ago it was not working, you know, the memory sometimes kind of trick your mind and your body to feel things <laughs> where you're just like, did I do this? What did I do? Yeah. And I, and I have to say, even, you know, when I finally fully moved out uh, and I still had the key, every time I walked into that house, it was just gut wrenching. Oh, I can imagine. Even though. I knew that the decision to divorce was the right decision. Right. I never questioned that. Mm -hmm. But you know, you you do you have you have these memories, knowing that I wasn't going to every night be able to you know, you know, put the kids to bed and read the bedtime stories, and you know, I couldn't believe that I missed like the morning rush, mm -hmm. getting them ready for school, like, put your clothes on. No, you're not wearing shorts. Like, the one we all dread, but still, I, right. <laughs> I actually missed that. Yeah. And I felt guilty that I was not in their life in that way anymore. I felt guilty that I wasn't going to have it, you know, that I didn't have it anymore. But I also felt guilty because now all of a sudden my ex-husband, now he's responsible for that. He didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's looking back now, it was a long journey towards healing mm -hmm. because not only of what I, I chose to subtract from my life, mm -hmm. but also the fact that, like you said earlier, there wasn't a support system in place where I could look to another mom who had gone, who had made this decision, um, to, 
be the non-custodial parents. And, you know, it wasn't until last year that I had done a talk where um, I had shared that I was a non-custodial parent. And afterwards, I had a woman come up to me. She was from Europe. And she said, I could totally relate to your story. I'm a non-custodial parent as well. And I have a daughter. And she, too, had made the exact, they had a very similar arrangement. Her husband was much more nurturing than she was. She recognized that he could, he wanted to play more of a maternal role with her, right. so to speak, even though he was the dad. Um, and after meeting her, I was like, oh, my God, there's somebody else. <laughs> I'm not alone. I'm not alone. <laughs> because, because anytime I Googled about it, all that you saw, shame, 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 everything was yeah. about shame. Yeah. There was, there was an article, I think it was in 2016 in the Huffington Post, a reporter had interviewed non-custodial mothers. And so there was, you know, she shared all of the shame that these women feel and the comments were horrible. I could imagine. Oh, oh, I, I was like, no wonder nobody's coming out and talking yeah. about this. Yeah. Because, it, and, and, and the comments were from other women. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. We bash each other, which is why I said from beginning to, even if you look at, you know, you know, New York, they always have like these, um, Pleasantville moms or whatever, Suffolk County moms or not, whatever, you know, and you look at those mom groups. And even in those groups on Facebook, there's no one there that's supportive. No one is uplifting you. It's always like your kid didn't get into the team or your kid didn't do this or your, it's, it, it's just terrible how we've succumbed to this, to break each other down as women, instead of lifting each other up and saying, Hey, are you okay? What can I do for you today? This must be hard. Can I take you out to dinner? Right. Well, I, I, you know, I talk a lot about that. You know, I believe, and you said it earlier, it's like the moment the kid comes out, society <laughs> hands you an invisible score. Oh, yeah. Right? You are expected to meet all of this criteria. Society celebrates you if you meet it or exceed it, or they reject you if you don't. And you are constantly navigating that. And what I find so interesting, just as women, it's like if you remember when, you know, it used to be the case that, you know, Dad went out and made the money. You stayed home and you were in charge of the house. Right. Then you saw the, you know, the, the surge of working moms. Mm -hmm. Society pushed back against that. Oh my goodness. Now, yeah. Right. But now it's more accepting, mm -hmm. right? It's more accepting. Okay. She works. That's okay. I may be a stay at home mom and I may be a little judgy about that, but she works and there's not this incredible backlash. And the, and the role yeah. reverse, working moms judging stay-at-home moms too. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's kind of crazy. But I think that you, you see it when you see women breaking the glass ceiling. Women are suddenly, you know, they're CEOs. They, you know, they choose a profession. They get to the top of it. That's great. We support and celebrate women who do that. We got behind the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Um. And we all rallied together about that. And motherhood, I think, is the last frontier. Yes. Where we have yet to come together and acknowledge that we can all parent differently. Mm -hmm. And one way isn't necessarily better than the other. And none of us are perfect, even if we think we are. Right. 
Right. I, I did an episode on motherhood isn't a Hallmark card and it was just sharing all the moments of motherhood is not all that you expect it to be. It's not all hunky dory. Oh my goodness. You know, sometimes I can't stand my child and that's okay. And that is okay. And sometimes I'm just wondering like, maybe this is why I have one and not two or not three or not four. And sometimes I look at parents that have four, three kids. I'm like, wow, God bless you <laughs> because you know, everyone is different and I'm, I'm not the hands-on two hands-on parent. I'll, I'll, probably play a video game with you, watch a movie, but everyone is different and we shouldn't judge each other for that because that necessarily doesn't make me a bad mom or a, or, or a good mom, whatever it is that you feel you you want to say, but it's just everyone is different and, and we you you hit a point which is important. I think motherhood is the last part where women can sit and rally and just kind of, I'm envisioning like women hugging each other and be like, it's okay, it's okay. And we don't do that. Like, like you said, with the mom, with the mom groups, you know, it, it, I, I remember that shortly after I, I left the home, I went to a baseball game and many of the moms who I used to sit with. And who um, were your preachers, friends? <laughs> yeah. Quotation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found out that, you know, it was, it was just an awkward thing. Um, for us to even be sitting together. The dynamic was different. Um, last year, I was in a Starbucks, and I had a, I ran into an old friend who I hadn't seen for a while. We sat down, we had a cup of coffee, and she said, I just want to tell you that all of the people who you thought have been your friends throughout this entire journey have been bad-mouthing you mm-hmm. for years. Wow. And I was devastated because these, I thought these women were my friends. When I would run into them, it was, hey, how are you? you? Of course, very fake. (laughs) How are you? Oh my God. And then turning around like, I can't believe she did that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Instead of, instead of saying, okay, I'm not in her shoes, but she obviously, her and her ex-husband made this decision Mm -hmm. together. And I do know that, like we were saying before, that not every um, family has the, the opportunity to make that decision where it's amicable. I know that, that my, my decision and how we worked it out is not the norm. Right. You know, it, it is very volatile and it is about who's got more custody, you know, how much, how much time, you know, if I, uh, one, a divorce attorney told me there are people who are literally like the amount of minutes that there are in a week, it's gotta be exact. Oh, I know. I've, I listen, I have family members who still to this day, it's a custody issue. It's this day and that day. You can't have this day because I had this day. And it's just like, what, what, what do the kids want? And you, and you think about it, perhaps you guys didn't ask the kids, but you knew what they wanted. They wanted their friends. They wanted their bed. They wanted their school. They wanted that kind of routine that was important for them. And you guys made that sacrifice as parents where others were just, you completely taking them, removing them and not wanting to have a relationship with either one, whether it's the dad or or the mom, that's not fair for the child. And we always have to stop and think about the child, not the mother, not the dad, but the child and what's in the best interest for the child. And like I said, I I continue to commend you because that's exactly what you guys did. It was about the kids. Yeah. And, uh, Although I will say that even though it was in the best interest of the, of the children, uh, it did a number on me as a mom and how I felt like I had failed as a woman. Yeah. 
And so, well, that's the shame society puts in you and the blueprint they think you should have. Right. And, and it's, it's generational, right? When you think about all of the roles and responsibilities that moms have had through the generations to then all of a sudden say, okay, I no longer play this role. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the things that I, you know, and, and it still makes me sad sometimes is that, you know, when the kids were sick, my ex-husband was now the primary caregiver, unless, right. unless it was on a weekend when I had them, right. um, you know, and me not being there, you know, I, I still get sad when I think about, okay, I, I missed that mm-hmm. because there, there is something about, you know, kids want their mom <laughs> you know? when they're, they're sick, sick, they do that nurturing. Right. And yeah. For certain, and for certain situations, you know, and it's, so, so shame is a real thing, whether mm-hmm. you are divorced and you are the custodial mom, there's a lot of shame around that, yep. you know, because you don't go into a relationship thinking it's going to fail. Of course not. Yeah, of course right? not. So you've got that. And then when you're a non-custodial mom, there's just a whole triple, spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> triple the shame. So now that you've had this experience, I, I, two, two questions, what's your relationship now with your kids? And then what motivated you now to get into coaching to helping divorced moms? Um, I would say my relationship with my kids is so much, so much better. And really, really, we have a unique relationship. Oh, I see your smile. Um, I see the glow in you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because it took me several years that I carried around such sadness and shame and guilt. And, you know, as parents, whatever we're carrying in the moment, however we're showing up, we're projecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so for years, you know, even when I had them on the weekends or after school, I would spend a lot of time crying Mm. and that sadness, they would pick up on that energy and that was awful for them and for me. Yeah. Right. And so being finally realizing that, okay, I don't have to live in this space. I don't have to continue to keep showing up in this way Mm -hmm. with them that I get to choose. Okay. These are the things that are important to me. Here are my values. Like empowerment is a huge value for me. Always has been. Um, Communication is a big value. Love is a big value. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is a big value. Okay. I want to take those values really come from that place where I am embodying them and then show up that way for my kids. Right. And as a result, and that took me some time to figure out what's important to me. What are the lessons I want to teach them? How do I want to show up and what kind of a relationship do I have want to have with them? And so I'll give you an example. There's 16, 17. Mm -hmm. I read um, this great book um, called boys and sex by Peggy Orenstein. She also has a great one called Girls and Sex. Oh, I, I think I saw, yeah, I saw that book, The Boys and Sex. Let me, let, let me tell you something. Because you know they're busy in the bathroom at this point. <laughs> well, I got an education that I did not expect to have. And at the end of the book, she says, okay, I want you guys to, as parents, I want you to breathe because you can talk to your kids about this. And I thought, okay vulnerability is something that's very important. Communication is important. And I want to have an open and honest conversation with my kids about this. And so, you know, I picked them up at their house and I was bringing them to my place. And I have about a 30 minute drive Mm -hmm. between where we live 
And uh, I said to my kids, listen, I want to talk to you about something. And they're like, yeah, what? And I said, I want to talk to you about porn. And <laughs> my one son, my 17-year-old, said, Mom, you know, when you tell us you want to talk to us about something, there's certain things like self-esteem, confidence. Like he tells He's me. He's like, and you hit me with porn, Mom? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, of all the things, I didn't expect you to talk about that. But that's a role that I wanted to play in their lives. Mm -hmm. I want to have a conversation because I know that their dad is not talking to them mm -hmm. about this. So in, as I went through this process with myself and my kids, I realized, okay, this is something that I have learned. I've learned how to, to identify what's important to me, how I want to show up, how I'm holding myself back from showing up, right? If I, if vulnerability, for instance, is something that's really important to me, but in my personal relationship with my boyfriend, I'm not willing to be vulnerable. Right. I've got to work through that myself so then I can show up vulnerably with my kids. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize that I've been an empowerment coach for years, a mindset coach for a really long time, that I can take what I've learned with my children and now coach other divorced moms who have suddenly lost those roles and responsibilities. Yeah. They can now take a step back and say, okay, how do I want to show up for my kids? What kind of mom do I want to be? What lessons are important to me? Do those things align with my values of what I believe is important? And then where am I out of alignment there? Mm. Like the vulnerability example I used before. Yeah. If communication is important, if I'm not willing to communicate with my kids, but I want to, how am I holding myself back? What's getting in the way? So those are the kinds of things that I work with, with my clients, because I don't think that whether we're divorced or we're divorced or we're a non-custodial parent, that just because we lose certain things, it doesn't mean that we can't show up more powerfully in another area, in, in another area. Yes. And then we can create a unique relationship. Mm hmm with our children, We're, we can still be a loving and powerful mom and role model for our kids, even if we're divorced, even if we're non-custodial, we have that ability to choose it. It's not because society tells us that we're bad, so then we must be, you can totally rip up that scorecard that you got from the <laughs> The moment it's I think you were pregnant, it started. <laughs> what are you eating? What are you not eating? <laughs> right. We're reading all the books that are telling us all the things that we have to do. Then we've got our parents and our friends who are telling us this is the way it's got to be. And cultures and everything. Right. Right. And for almost immediately, you're feeling like, I don't measure up. Yeah. So... You have shared some amazing knowledge nuggets for divorced moms, for um, non-custodial parents, et cetera. What else can you leave the listeners? Well, I think that I would tell people that you don't, you, you are always in control of what you think because what you think is going to determine how you feel. So if you are continuing to think that I don't measure up and I don't have the ability to create something really powerful with my kids, that's going to come true. But if you do have the, if you do realize that, you know what, I am in control, 
I can't control how somebody thinks about me, but I can control what I think about myself and the relationship that I create with my kids. Like we have that power. We've always had that power and no one can take that power away from us except ourselves. Right. So knowing that we can dig into that and tap into that, then, you know, that phrase, the world is your oyster man. <laughs> create something phenomenal. Right. That, didn't exist before. Yes. So where can people find you if they want you to coach them and you to support them in this journey? And I'm sure people, you know, want to reach out and ask questions and pick your brain and kind of feel like, oh my God, there's a community for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They can go onto my website, thesusanextine.com. They can connect with me there. I'm also, I have a big presence on Facebook. Uh, also on LinkedIn, if um, they're looking for somebody to come and speak, because I do speak quite frequently mm-hmm. on this issue. This is, you know, I want one of the things that I've come to realize um, just like a couple weeks ago, I was in a big call and there were I don't know about 50 to 60 people on it. And the guy who was leading the call said, share something unique about you. So everybody went through. And when they got to me, I said, I'm a noted non-custodial mother. And in the chat box, I received a private message from someone from Australia mm. who said, I'm a non-custodial mother too. Wow. And it was a private message. Yeah. And I was like, this is why I want to talk yes. about this because there are women all over the world mm-hmm. who are hiding it, who need to come out and let's support each other. Yes. I really want this to be open And hopefully over time, just like with working moms, society can come to accept and ultimately embrace women like me, because I believe that there are going to be a lot more of us. Oh, yeah. Gender gender roles change. Breadwinning moms go up. Stay at home. Dads is, you know, is continuing to rise. Right. So as those relationships break up, all of a sudden, the dad is going to say, oh, no, they belong with you. They may want to continue that, and that might be in the best interest of the kids. Right. Right. I'm just, like, so intrigued with this conversation, and I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm going to send some of my friends your contact info. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, you know, you're not alone, and, and, you know, people need a community, and people need to feel accepted and embraced. And even for me, you left me with more information, you know, when you're cognizant and you, you, you do this work and you know, you're in tuned with your feelings. I'm, I'm able to be honest and share that information with, with my friends, but even having this conversation with you, where it's just saying, um, probably I need, my thoughts need to be more gentler because it's not the, the reaction that I'll have, um, in expressing it to someone. It's what the thought comes right away. That is just like, wait, what, what? So that's where it, that training piece has to come in to say, it's okay. Everyone is different, accept love and it's okay. And so that's where I thank you for this conversation today to kind of trigger that thought before anything else and not let the deep rooted maternal instincts, the the blueprint that society has wanted to leave with us, the scorecards, et cetera. And it's just triggering that thought to say, it's okay. It's not for you to say anything, to feel anyway. This is this person's journey, accept and embrace them. So I'm so grateful for you for this conversation. It's such a unique conversation and an important conversation. And I'm 
humbled and blessed and grateful that you spent your time on this Saturday morning to record with me and to, you know, give us this information. And I'm so enlightened and refreshed. And thank you so much, Susan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a really great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Beauteous Me podcast. Please be sure to download new episodes every week. And send us your girl, what were you thinking or asking for friend stories to info at imbeauteousme.com. All entries remain anonymous. Also, don't, 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 don't forget to rate, review, and hit the subscribe button now.